that you desire to reveal to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the great teacher, that your brilliance is not beyond what we can comprehend because you know how to lead us into truth. You know how to take our abilities to comprehend and, and, and bring the most out of that. So, Father, we ask tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would do exactly that. Take what is written, take what we read, what we say, and, and, and make it alive. Reveal Christ to us as we read this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that that's exactly what would happen, that Jesus would be revealed to us more and more and more. We thank you for revealing it to John, his obedience to write it, and then, Father, our obedience to choose to read it and to, and to be led by you, God, into understanding. God, we thank you that it will cause us to grow in faith, to be blessed, and to be inspired, Lord God, to share the love of Christ, the gospel of truth, and, Father, to be bold in the time that we live in. Thank you, Lord God. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on in. There might be some books right there in the back. I think Gerald set a few down there. Go ahead and grab them as you come through. If not, there's some more here in the front. Um, we're going to get into this study of Revelation. Um, it is a, a very, um, um, to some people, a very challenging book to the point where some have chosen not to read it because I just won't understand it. And uh, one of the things that I just encourage you is to trust the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's your teacher. He's your guide. He will begin to take and unfold and unveil and, and unmask the, the truths that are here. Jesus taught in parables on purpose, but yet he gave us the Holy Spirit to unwrap those parables so that there would be understanding. Uh, and, and there was a purpose behind the parables, and we'll touch on it just for a second, a little bit later. And, and realize Jesus taught in parables. Revelation is, is, can be considered that as well. Um, in a little bit different formation and format, but yet it's it's exciting. We find that it is it is uh, backed up by different books in the Bible. You can find the Book of Revelation in all sorts of different areas in the Bible. It is not unique to itself. Some parts are, but it's in the mouths of two or three witnesses. God's establishing every word, and those witnesses are found in the Scriptures. So as we get into this. You're going to find a lot of Scripture that I've, I've used to back up things that are said. Uh, some of it we'll read, some of it for the sake of time. We won't, uh, but we're going to cover as much as we can. Uh, and again, the reason I've done it the way I've done it for you here is just because you're going to need to go home and, and rehash some of this if you want to take what I've compiled. Uh, this is not all uh, just my brilliant revelation. Uh, I have read a lot of books as well, <laughs> so uh, and and put some things together. Hopefully, that will make some sense for you. So let's start out. I've put all our scriptures and everything that we're going to read in here, so you don't have to take time to find them in the Bible. Uh, so they're they're here. A lot of them are in ESV uh, English Standard Version. 
Uh, some are in other translations, but uh, as we go, just realize that's basically where you're going to be able to go back and find these. So Revelation chapter 1, we'll read verse 1 through 8 together. The revelation of Jesus Christ. God does not want to be hidden. God does not want His Son to be hidden. He wants Him revealed. And that's the reason He gave us the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to reveal to us. It's just as Jesus came to show us the Father, the Holy Spirit, through the writings in, in which He's given to John, this, this, the, the vision, uh, this, this time that John had and that he wrote out, it's to reveal Jesus. One of the things we're going to find out as we read the book of Revelation over and over, you're going, oh, it's the end of times, and look at all the destruction, wah, 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 like that. And you're going to find this amazing thread of mercy all the way through the book. Wow. God's patience, God's mercy, God's giving people one more opportunity. As many as we can come to Christ, we're making opportunity as much as possible. God is not doing things out of spite. God continues to do things out of love and mercy and compassion, and we'll see it. Now realize this, that there are consequences to action, <clears throat> and sin is judged. <clears throat> and it will be revealed here on some of those judgments and stuff, but you'll also see <clears throat> the love of Christ and the mercy of God all the way through this book. We'll get into that. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servant the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word, to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Just reading it out loud, God commands a blessing. Just hearing it commands a blessing on your life, and also if you keep it, okay? So just by being here, guess what? Hang on, blessing coming. For the time is near. John wrote this 2,000 years ago. Yeah, to God, that's close. <laughs> time is near. And we're not going to get caught up some in time frames. We're going to try to discuss some of that a little bit as we go if we have time. But... Uh, um, we're going to we're going to we're going to glean the truth that's in this book, and and not get caught up with some of those things that maybe I'll let you know if, uh, some of these things I'm going to say I have no idea and I'll tell you the truth I have no idea what that means. Uh, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Je and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who will pierce him. Wow. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation defined, it comes from the word apocalypse, an unveiling to show or to expose a view. The purposes of this book is to expose, to show a view, to expose a view or to show something. The word is used 18 times in the New Testament. 
The revelation of Jesus Christ is the exposing, the unveiling, or the showing of Jesus that must take place. The emphasis of the book is on future events. Some will debate that those events are taking place now. Um, I will agree with a little bit of that, but we'll talk about that. There's a few scriptures there that I, I put down to show you where some of the word revelation is found in scripture. The source of revelation, God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and an angel. John is not the source of the information. Um, more accurately, he's the one taking dictation. John is being given a vision. He's writing down the things he sees, and, and he, is, he is dictating it for our sake. Um, God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's important that we see God, that who God is referring to, and at times all these elements of God get revealed, and we're going to talk about those. Verse 8, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, or who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And, and God is going to be revealed exactly that, that he's the beginning, he's the end, he is, he was, and he's yet to come. And, and, and we're going to see that, those aspects of God as we go through this book, and it's, it's, it's exciting. Uh, verse 4 talks about the seven spirits, okay? Now, the seven spirits are not seven different spirits. It's actually the, the, the sevenfold working of the Holy Spirit, if I can put it that way. Because God is not seven. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit in Scripture, we'll, we'll, we'll read this here in Isaiah. Uh, he says, There shall come forth uh, a, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the Spirit of the Lord is one spirit. The Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And those are the seven uh, spirits that, that verse 4 talks about. They're all uh, attributes of the Holy Spirit. And they're all, they're all going to be revealed and used here. And so Isaiah bears out what he's talking about there. In verse 5, uh, we, we read that uh, Jesus was the, the, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, who loves us and, is free, and, who loves us and has freed us from sin. Freed from our sin by His blood, we need to repent and allow Jesus to cleanse us uh, from sin, and it's by His shed blood. We're we're to be helping those who need to know Jesus, praying and making disciples. The book uh, of Revelation, this book, encourages us to be active in in the things of God. Um, verse six, He talks about and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> and realize what the blood of Christ has done is made as a son, made as a daughter, made as a child of God, established us in the kingdom, kings and priests unto him. So, the blood of Christ has done a good work, a great work, and we're we're beginning to, uh, as a church, to understand the, the depth and and how great that gifting and that call and that purpose is in Christ. Um, I encourage you to study out uh, kingdom of priests, um, you know, kings and priests under God. You'll be in, incredibly encouraged with what Christ has done on your behalf 
and how he's positioned you. A lot of times, you're, no, I'm just humble. And God says, yeah, good, be humble, but be what you're called to be. Be what I've made you by my blood. And uh, so, anyway, just, you know, put this out here. Again, they're, we're going fast. If you have questions, I encourage you to write them down because um, we're probably not going to answer a lot of questions on the fly. And some of this may feel like I'm skipping over stuff. I am. <laughs> because <laughs> you just can't do it in the amount of time we have. Verse 7, he said, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even though who's, those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Every eye will see him. You know what? Jesus stood before Caiaphas, and Caiaphas condemned him. And Caiaphas is going to see him come in the clouds. How exciting. Uh even though Caiaphas is dead and in hell, he's going to see him. Nations will mourn. Why? They'll mourn because they didn't receive Jesus as Lord of their lives. They all have opportunity. God is not hiding Christ from anyone at all. The Bible tells us that, that it's written on the heart of every man. And, and, and God is just and loving and compassionate and good. And so every tribe, every nation, every tongue has had opportunity and will have opportunity to receive Christ. There'll come a point in every person's life to say yes or no to Christ, according to the Scripture. They make a decision. And if the decision is yes, they're going to rejoice. If the decision for Christ is no, they're going to mourn. And, and, and John says, I can't help that. It's their choice. We can't make anybody. God has given us a free choice. Uh, and, and so he says, even so, amen. So you can read in Acts, uh, you know, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? The same Jesus who was uh, taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Uh, and there's other scriptures in Matthew. Realize when you read the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew is written to the Jews. It is a very prophetic book, and it speaks considerable to the end times. I encourage you, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, keep that in mind as you read. Uh, and, and you can find a lot of things in the Gospel of Matthew, also, uh, you know, types and shadows uh, of it in Revelation and as Jesus was prophesying. Um, Jesus is, uh, it was very prophetic. Anybody want to know what the first prophecy ever given by man was? This is a rabbit trail. Gabe, you know, don't you? We just talked about this class. He brought Eve to Adam, and Adam said, A man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Woo! And Adam didn't even have a mother or father, but yet he's prophesying that, and that's why it stayed true to this day. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. Revelation 1, <laughs> 9 through 11. Did you like that rabbit trail? Write that down. Chapter 2 of Genesis. Uh, chapter 1 of Revelation 9 through 11. John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom of... Uh, and, and in the... And the kingdom... And the patient endurance that are in that are in Jesus. I can read that again. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Right. What you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. John called himself a partner. 
He didn't say, I'm the apostle. He didn't say, I'm the man of God. He said, I'm a partner. Partner means there's others working with them. That's beautiful. <laughs> I was looking for one of my grandkids with the, the little the little mallet uh, thing. Um, John called himself a partner. He didn't say apostle. He didn't say a man of God. Um, we are partners. He said partner because he's including you in this uh, opportunity of declaring. Partner in tribulation. Partner in kingdom. Partner in patient endurance that are in Jesus. We're partners in the testimony. We're partners in the preaching. We're partners in the things of God and in the end times. Uh, that's you, if you choose to partner with, with, with John in the things of Christ. Patmos is an island between Turkey and Greece. And, and John couldn't be killed. I mean, John was one of the disciples who, the only one, I think, that wasn't martyred. Uh, they tried. They boiled John in oil. They did different things to John, but he would not die. So they finally just said, okay, we're going to put you on an island where you can't make any effect on anybody. And what happens? The Holy Spirit shows up, gives John the book of Revelation. John writes the gospel after the book of Revelation. He writes the three epistles uh, also. Uh, but the, this is the first book that John uh, has written. It's the book of Revelation. Quite a start, isn't it? Uh, Verse 10 says, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Um, you remember when, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, and, uh, and she asked the question, he said, you know, we worship on this mountain, where, where uh, um, are we going to worship? And Jesus uh, said, there's coming a time when the true worshiper will worship in spirit and truth. And the question was where, and the answer was in spirit, in the spirit. And so when you see in the Spirit, uh, it, it refers to a location. It doesn't refer to a, a I'm going to pray in tongues or worship in tongues or, or something like that. It's a location. Uh, you read in, in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, the year King Uzziah died, that Isaiah was caught into the Spirit. Where was he? He was in the throne room of heaven, and he was seeing the seraphims and, and, and the different uh, angelic beings flying around as they were worshiping before the, the throne. So here we find out John is in the Spirit, just as Jesus said the place we're going to worship is in Spirit, location, which is the presence of God. John is in, suddenly, the throne room. Okay, and so uh, he he's, he says that uh, in that that uh, that uh, um, he has a message for the seven churches, and he lists them there. Uh, so on page four, uh, let's look at the seven churches real quick. John is uh, taken up into heaven. All the churches were located in Turkey, that's Asia Minor, uh, and in in that Tur Turkey Greece area right there. Uh, they were all within about a 100-mile radius, all of the seven churches that are mentioned, and they represent the seven church periods of history. Uh, they not only were words for those churches, but also for us throughout the course of time, and we'll get into that. Ephesus, the apostolic church, uh, it was uh, between 30 and 100 A.D. Uh, the book of Acts, basically, was the... the uh, and as we read here in Revelation, in the church of what Jesus says to Ephesus, he's referring to this church period time. Uh, Smyrna, persecuted church from 100 to 300 A.D. during the time of Polycarp. That's one of John's disciples. Uh, in Nero, 
the brutal Roman Caesar was during this time. The Church of Pergamos, as you read this section, you can apply it to also to history and see uh, the state church, which is 300 to 600. Christianity uh, and pagan begin to mix. The worship of Mary and the saints begin to get thrown in to Christianity. And, and we see that, that the Roman uh, government says that uh, all the people will be Christians. And we find uh, the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church, for example, during this period. And it speaks to it. And we'll find out what Jesus says to this church. Thyatira, uh, the papal church, 600 to 1500 A.D. It's the Dark Ages. Uh, no one could think for themselves. Ignorance, poverty, sickness. Uh, the 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 leadership of the church could, were the only ones who read and therefore made all the decisions. People were not allowed to make decisions for themselves. Uh, Sardis is the Reformed Church, 1500 to 1800. Uh, this is Martin Luther, John Wesley. The church began to uh, become educated. Bibles were print, printed and allowed to be read for the people. And as we read this, we're going we're gonna to be able to tie that in and see what Jesus said to that church. Philadelphia, the missionary church from 1800 to 1950, uh, the, 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 the church age exploded in this missionary stuff around the world. The, the church sent missionaries all over, focusing on evangelism. Uh, China, Africa, Southeast Asia, people began to do what the Bible said. And, and you'll find out that this church period, uh, Jesus has no words of condemnation for it. As they were in, in this time in our history, uh, the, the church was very active in the, in the church um, the people were acting biblically and moral and, and stuff. Uh, and the Church of Laodicea, the, apost the, ap the apostate church, uh, roughly 1950 to current day, um, people's uh, church, uh, it's no longer God's church. The people kind of run it, do what they want. Uh, humanism, water down the gospel, don't judge, uh, don't judge sin. Anything goes, political correctness, whatever you want, how you want to add it, as we have uh, become very liberal in our thinking and left biblical truth in exchange for what seems right to us. So uh, those are the different seven church ages that each one of these churches that, that John has a message from the angels for to write down represent. So Revelation then goes on, verse 12 through 16, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like uh, white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, uh, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Jesus called himself the Son of Man in all four Gospels. Why? Because Jesus wanted us to realize, even though Jesus is all God, uh, hypostatic union, all God, but yet he was all man. Jesus did everything he was, or everything that he did as a man. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost, and he operated every, on earth as a man. And by doing that, we know and we recognize that we can do the same. Jesus said, the things I do, you're going to do, and even greater things because I'm going to go to the Father. I realize this, if Jesus did anything on this earth as God, we could not do it because none of us are God. So that's why Jesus did what he did on earth 
as a man. He even died and shed his blood as a man. So Jesus focuses on that. The Bible also says, as he is, so are we in this world. Take a look at that description in Revelation. I have it uh, listed down here in Daniel chapter 7 as well, 1 through 13. That's the same description. Look at Jesus' description. That's how he is. That's how Jesus is right now. And Scripture tells us, as he is, so are we. How's your hair? Check it out. <laughs> you got fire coming out of your mouth? You should. You know, I mean, all, and realize that it may not be physical fire, but it's, it's the power that, that fire represents. It's the cleansing that fire represents. It, it's the different aspects of Christ that are represented by this description. And we'll touch on a few things real quick here that we need to be like. So verse 13 said he was dressed in a robe, uh, reaching down to his feet. It refers to the robe of a high priest ministering in, holy pla- in the holy place. Uh, intercessing, uh, intercessors for man to God. That's part of our responsibility. We are intercessors. We are mediators. Jesus is the great mediator, but we have that responsibility. With a gold sash, symbol of strength and authority, and uh, that and and those were the, that was a, a customary outfit that was worn at the time of John. John is describing things that he would have been familiar with: the robe and the sash. Now. We don't see that a lot in our dress today, but realize they can also be figuratively that we have the robe. We are, we are robed in righteousness, and we have that sash that represents that power and authority uh, by, by the Holy Spirit. We've been filled with power. Uh, and so we are, we are robed that way, spiritually speaking. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus, said, or Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and he told them, I give it to you. Uh, verse 14, he says, his hair on his head was like uh, like white as wool. Daniel 7, uh, 9 says, and as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair on his head like pure wool. Uh, his throne was fiery flames. It wheel, uh, it w- Its wheels were burning fire. Uh, Christ is called the Ancient of Days. He's the collection of time. Uh, he's all wisdom, and we know that that, 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 that according to uh, um, uh, Proverbs, that the white hair is is a crown of wisdom. And Jesus has collected all this wisdom, and yet He's passing it on, and He wants us to operate in this wisdom. And so John sees them as is all wise, this all wisdom. Um, his feet, <coughs> or excuse me, his eyes were like blazing fire. Uh, the Greek actually says it this way, his eyes shot out fire. Jesus was angry. <laughs> Indignant about the state of the church. And he's, he's going he's to talk about it here. Jesus established holiness and righteousness. And Jesus wanted it to be followed. We don't get to choose our own example and just live it that way. He gave us an example to follow, and when the church doesn't do it, he's not happy. Now, realize he's loving and merciful, but he's righteous and he's holy as well, okay? Uh, So his eyes shot out fire. Verse 15, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Bronze refers to judgment. The brazen altar in the temple is where sin was judged. Again, the bronze element of that. His voice was like the sound of rushing water. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls, anybody? 
How loud? Oh my goodness, it is loud. We need to realize each, uh, we need to realize that uh, everybody's going to hear the voice of Jesus. It's, it's not going to be missed. <laughs> We're not going to say, somebody's saying something? No, no, no. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be loud. It's going to be clear. Verse 16, the seven stars in his hand. The seven stars are the seven church ages and the angels or the message to each. We need to realize each age has a remnant that still exists today. So even though we're saying the apostolic church was 30 to 100 AD, realize that remnants of that church still exist. I'd like to think that we're a remnant of that church to this day. <clears throat> and so, and I can t personally testify to the fact that that um, the, the church and its founding and its growing and stuff has received plenty of persecution and grown because of it. It was Carrie and I have personally been cursed by witches. We've been per <laughs> we've we've had to deal with people who are in the in the occult and stuff like that, and we've been threatened and and uh, um, all sorts of fun things, um, even stabbed, uh, you know, for the kingdom. Um, and thank God it never cut me. But there you go, uh, for the kingdom. But uh, there is persecution. So remnants of the church are still in existence all the way through. You can still find the, the persecuted church. Uh, go to China, for example. You can still find uh, the state church. You know, it's still in existence. We have plenty of them in the United States and around the world. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, so, seven stars in his hand. Uh, out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, Ephesians 6.17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, talks about, uh, you know, what, what, what the sword is. It is the Word of God. What, you know... What comes out of our mouth, what we speak, that's the word that's coming out of our mouth. Uh, you know, if you go to the, the 23rd Psalm, um, there's also a four-edged uh, sword that we, that we get to use. We know what that is? What is it, Gabe? It's a fork. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I'm just sorry. <laughs> Another rabbit trail. Write that down. You're going to want to use that. Put a plastic fork in your Bible. There, there's my, what I get in the presence of my enemy. I get to eat. Um, uh, there's, there's no defense against the Word of God. The Word of God is all-powerful. Okay? It has the power of life. Um, and the Antichrist will have no chance. And that's very cool. Realize the enemy, when you speak the Word, has no choice but to respond. I had a great experience one time. Uh, before the first time I ever dealt with somebody who was demon-possessed, I, I was praying at the church. I was in the dome, and we were out on, on Tyler Road. And all of a sudden, right over top of the, the, of the pulpit, for those of you who remember the dome, uh, appeared a demon. And uh, our band, Gethsemane, was just in there praying. And this demon shows up. And I'm looking at it going, what am I looking at? Never seen anything like that before. And and I realized what I was looking at. I don't know if the Holy Spirit was talking to me or whatever. But the word of the Lord came to me and said, command it to go. And so I did. And as soon as I did, I said, come down from there. And as soon as I said it, it came right down, right to the ground. And I said, get out. <clears throat> and it walked, started walking down one of the aisles. It got about halfway and it turned around and it looked at me as if to say, do you mean it? Well, yes, get out. And it went even farther, and it turned around and looked again. And I said, I said, get out of the building, and it disappeared through the wall. And uh, the Lord said, I just wanted you to see 
that the moment you speak, that has no choice but to respond. It will test you to see if you're serious or to see if you're going to follow through. But it moves immediately. And within a few days, I got a phone call from an individual. My, my son is demon-possessed. You need to come. It's in the middle of the night. Uh, I began to get choked by this fella. Uh, he had his thumbs right in my Adam's apple, and I couldn't breathe. And all of a sudden, I just went, oh, yeah, if I speak, it's got no choice. And I spoke and commanded it to let go of me. And immediately, his hands just opened up, and he's shaking. He's looking at me, and he falls to the ground like, ended up casting the, the devil out of this kid, and, and he was delivered. And, and uh, you know, and ever since then, I've had no issue when it comes to dealing with the demonic. Um, and I've had many opportunities, and, and they respond. There is power in the Word of God spoken in faith in the name of Jesus. But God gave me that vision and that opportunity because shortly thereafter I began to get used in a lot of these situations and and God will bring you into if you want to, if you say God use me, get ready. He will and it's exciting at the same time it's <laughs> okay God, I trust you. I think I know, <laughs> you know, but God will come through every time. So his face shining like the sun and that's in reference to the divine nature of Jesus. I realize we're kind of moving quick, but we're not at the same time. So uh, Peter, James, and John saw the divine nature on earth. Uh, we'll see it at the end times. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus showed Moses and Elijah showed up there with him? Uh, Revelation 17, 1, 1, 17 through 20 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he told but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell, Hades. Right there for the things that you have seen, those that are uh, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I'm the first and the last. God is omnipresent everywhere at all times and in control through us. He gave the earth to man to rule and subdue. God is in control but refuses to do it without us. Sorry, I didn't make the rule. He did. And he never took that back. When he gave Adam authority God was not going to be a liar and say, well, you blew it, I'm taking it back, because then we could not trust God in anything, because would he take that back? I promise you that, but I'm taking that back too. God will not do that. He will not defy his own word. So he is in control through you, all right? Um, the living one, I died. Uh, he cru was crucified for our sin, resurrected. We serve a living Savior. If you if you are confused about that, finalize that. Jesus is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Cool thing about Christianity, our God's alive. <laughs> Aren't you glad? And behold, I, I'm alive forever, forever and ever. He will never die again. He will never change. He will always be. I am that I am. He will always be. First Peter three eight. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We just have to settle it. And he says, I hold the keys to death and hell. Jesus shed blood, destroyed the work of the devil, and Jesus is Lord of life and eternity. And I've got a couple scriptures that deal with that. Revelation 20, 14, 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Choose life. All right. Let's dive right into Revelation 2. We're going to start talking about the churches that we that we dealt with before. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Again, we know he's talking about the church and the angels. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Awesome. Which is in the paradise of God. Which is in the paradise of God. Realize that paradise, that Eden, that tree of life still exists. The key, Jesus is walking among the lampstands. He's walking among the churches. And if he's doing that, that's proof that there is protection. Even though we're talking, I'm going to talk about end times, God is watching over his church. There's protection. Church of Ephesus, let's talk about it. The Apostolic Church, and like I said, 300 to 100 uh, after Christ. Uh, Ephesus was a very ungodly city, a lot of pagan worship in the church. The church of Ephesus was extremely evangelistic and actually uh, sent missionaries to the entire known world out of, of Ephesus. Church uh, leadership in Ephesus was Christian Jew. Okay, this is the first century church. Uh, the condemnation from Jesus, you left your first love. Ouch. Hadn't been even very long, but yet that was the, the condemnation. The counsel Jesus gives them is remember your early years of love and service. Talks about that in verse 5. Um, Matthew seven twenty. thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Realize that that, that love and service is part of our identity. We can't lose that. We can't lose our, lose our first love. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said in John. Repent and fall back in love with Jesus. Do the things you did at first was his word. Verse 6, he talks about the Nicolaitans, a Greek word, two words, Nico to conquer, overthrow, and laos the people. Purpose of the Nicolaitans was to overthrow and conquer the people. They practiced sensuality by completely separating spiritual and physical, giving them the right to sin, uh, uh, and, and and carry on in, in whatever their opinion was went because there was a separation there. They also established uh, an ecclesiastical order of rule, uh, men government. They had the power to control your life. They told you what God wanted for you. They told you that don't read the Bible, don't listen to the Holy Spirit. I have I have the message of God for you. We've seen that even in our area. Uh, shepherding, for example. 
I, I, you know, you think about uh, the guy down in Waco, Texas. You think about uh, the guy that took the group down to somewhere in Central America, Jim Jones and stuff like that. Uh, you see it. Um, to a degree, the papacy, the Pope knows and will tell us. You know, and, and that takes that that takes the 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 individual relationship that God desires with each of us out of the picture. And that was the problem that, that Jesus had with the church of Ephesus. So only a few could hear from God or understand the scripture. That is not the case. You're all filled with the Holy Spirit and He will lead you into all truth. He wants to talk to you, Connie, specifically about you and your kids. And he's been talking to you about your kids. Would you listen? I'm kidding. Verse 7, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. The church of Ephesus probably had only one Bible because it was pretty early. They weren't writing them and copying them. You couldn't go down to the bookstore and get a Bible. So the only way they could, uh, they had to hear it, they had to learn it from hearing it, and they had to remember it. Here's my question. What's your excuse? (laughs) We have Bibles. We need to use them. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Colossians 3.16. Uh, Revelations chapter 2. We'll go on to the next church. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. <clears throat> and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So here Jesus begins to talk about Smyrna. Uh, Remember, they're the persecuted church. This is the first century church. The disciples are gone, but yet the, the church is growing roughly 100 to 300 uh, A.D. Uh, the city of Smyrna was established by Alexander the Great, approximately 300 B.C. It was on the trade route between India and, and Rome. Um, a very wealthy city. Uh, it's considered one of the most outstanding churches in church history. Uh, it was very faithful to Christ in the midst of great persecution. Verse 9, he says, "Though I know the afflictions and your poverty, but you're rich. What did Jesus mean? 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. They didn't base their richness on necessarily tangible things. Even though there were tangible things there, their richness was in the things of God, in the spiritual things, in their relationship with Christ, in, in, in being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they, they God says, look, even though the, the city is wealthy and there's, there's wealth there, that's not what we're striving for. Your riches are, are spiritual things. Condemnation of this church was nothing, not one word. It was them in Philadelphia were the only two that received no condemnation. The counsel was don't fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful even unto death. Because we know that this church age was probably the most persecuted church age in world history. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. It's appointed for man to die once, then the judgment, but yet we recognize that uh, the second death or that judgment uh, of of the lake of fire or hell is not meant for us. And, and so he's saying, look, be faithful. Um, you've got eternity waiting with me. 
the more the church was persecuted in this time, the more its numbers grew, the more its its strength, spiritually speaking, grew. Uh, later, the more the church indulged was indulged uh, and endorsed, the weaker it became. Uh, persecution was actually a, a growing catalyst for the early church. Uh, verse 10 says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Uh, there were 10, when he talks about you're, you're going to suffer for 10 days, there were 10 Roman emperors between 54 and 305 after Christ, all tortured and killed Christians. And that's the 10 days that they're going to suffer that he's talking about. And it refers to these guys. Uh, they burned Bibles, uh, they, they, uh, which were the sacred writings and the letters. They tried to stomp out Christianity. Uh, Five million Christians martyred that, that they can that they can find and refer to at this time, including Justin Martyr, uh, where the name Martyr comes from. Uh, they were fed to lions in the amphitheaters. They were crucified, covered in animal skins, fed to wild dogs or bears, covered with tar, set on fires, human torches, boiled in oil, burned at the stake, cut into pieces, filleted, drawn and quartered, and much, much more. If you think of something wicked you could do to a man, that's what they were doing. Why? Because they were evil. Because they were being influenced by the devil who was trying to stamp, stomp out and stop Christianity, Christ on the earth. Smyrna was where Polycarp, for example, that was John's disciple. We read in history about Polycarp, uh, one of the disciples. He was burned in Smyrna at the stake. Um, so even though the, the, the church was growing, realized there was some nasty persecution that was taking place, and yet the church was flourishing. So that's Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamon, write, The word of him who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Ouch. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice the idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which we talked about. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who is in ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Let's talk about Church of Pergamum for a minute. The indulgent church, 300 to 600 uh, after Christ. Pergamum was the capital city of Asia Minor until about 1000 A.D. Uh, it was a city filled with idol worship. The leadership of the city demanded all religions combined to avoid problems. You find that uh, that uh, Caesar um, Augustus, who no, not Augustus, uh, Caesar, uh, um, who combined, who made Christianity all one, huh? Constantine? No, was it? Yeah, maybe it was. Okay, one of, one of those guys um, combined uh, Christianity and Roman religion to avoid problems. Um, so uh, uh, Bacchus, 
the god of sexual indulgence and revelry. Uh, Asclepius, or as, as, excuse me, Asclepius, uh, the god of healing. Um, here we have some of these Roman gods, some of these pagan gods being put in and trying, we're trying to make gods out of things that are idols and things got really messed up. We'll talk about it here in just a second. Uh, and both of these two things came from Babylon where Nimrod and his, Nimrod and his mother were established, uh, where uh, his mother established these practices. When Babylon finally fell to Rome, the worship center moved to Pergamum. So you're going to find this church is is in the place that, that uh, Babylon was moved to. And we know how the the, the terrible um, idolatry and and uh, worship that was being done in Babylon, how e evil and wicked it was. And that was happening here at the same time. So the condemnation to this church was Jesus, or, or the, the, he commended him, excuse me, not condemned, but commended him for uh, uh, remaining true to him despite all the idolatry and the persecution. But the, the condemnation was that they held belief in some of the satanic and Nicolaitan teachings. For example, the sexual immorality. That was big, a big thing found in this church. Um, his counsel was repent, or I'll fight with them with the sword of my mouth. And again, Ephesians 6.17 talks about that sword. Uh, pagan practices introduced into the church. At this time, you find uh, the, the, during this time period, these things began to happening, began to happen, praying for the dead. You find that spoken of in the church history. Um, um, you know, we, we find that still rights within the Episcopal Church, the Catholic Church, and some different churches where we pray for the dead that they come out of purgatory and they go they go to heaven. Uh, making the sign of the cross, you find that during this, um, and that was a, a pagan symbol at the time. I mean, we've taken that on as a different thing, but yet that was that was adopted from a part of the pagan worship. Uh, worship of saints, angels, and Mary. Because they had so many gods, uh, what are we going to do with them all? Well, saint so-and-so gets to get prayed to. Uh, we have, you know, um, what happens on March 17th? Uh, we have St. Patrick, and we have all these, you know, different saints, even St. Saint Nicholas. Um, and all these guys were in there. What are we going to do with Mother Earth? Well, that's going to become Mary. Uh, what are we going to do with these and and we find all these things begin to get plugged into the church during this church age. So can you see how things begin to get watered down, and and we begin to drop some of the idolatry um, practices into the church, but yet we we put enough sugar on it to to sweeten the vinegar a little bit, uh, so to speak. The doctrine of purgatory, like I mentioned, services in Latin, so only the educated could understand. Because if the, here's here's the thing, if you can keep people dumb, you can rule them, and that was part of the problem that Jesus had with this church. Uh, that you know that you're not you're not being your you, God wants to be your God. He doesn't want to be your God through somebody else. He wants a personal relationship with you. Uh, praying directly to Mary, we find this uh, talked about in history for the first time during this church age period. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. Just a few um, of the Roman and Christian practices were blended and introduced into the church. The more the church blended with the political and social views of the day, the less it had in the form of power and, and blessings and, and, and the less impact. Post-millennialism was introduced. 
as things got easier for the church because it, it compromised its beliefs for political financial gain, the church began to teach that Christ's kingdom had already come because all of a sudden they're not being persecuted, but it's because they're compromising. So they began a teaching that they were already in the thousand-year reign. That then told people, well, if we're in that thousand-year reign, there's no need to witness because that's already done. And we found evangel evangelism uh, began to really stop during this time of the church age as well. And that ignorance and that stopping of the church moving forward and advancing the kingdom led us up to and walked us right into what we know as the Dark Ages. Right? And we all know what that is. Uh, verse 17, manna represents food from God, the understanding of the Word of God. When he talks about it, he talks about the stone. Um, it's a sign of acquittal, that white stone. Um, uh, forgiveness. And therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what that white stone that he's talking about giving them there represents. Revelation 21, 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter or enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're talking about the new heaven and the new earth uh, will enter into heaven. So that stone of acquittal, that, that manna from heaven that is spiritually spoken of here, um, you know, even though there's all this surrounding um, idolatry and things, the church is encouraged to remain pure, remain in faith. Don't get caught up in all this idol worship that's taking place. Revelation chapter 2, let's talk about the church of uh, Thyatira. The words of the, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flames of fire and those feet like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith, servants and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. And it's, uh, But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I give her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold... Uh, behold, I will throw her into the uh, onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches the mind and the hearts, and will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, you have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say. I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my work works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when the earth, uh, when the and and when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, I let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church of Thyatira, again, that's the pagan church, 600 A.D. Uh, uh, until and parts of it still exist today. Okay, but it's 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 represents the Dark Ages. The city of Thyatira was founded by Alexander the Great again, 300 years before Christ. It was a wealthy city again in, in Macedonia, north of Greece, and was known for its outstanding color dyes. Whew. A little history. Uh, it was commended. Jesus commends them for love faith, service, 
and continuing to do more, is where it says in verse 19. But the condemnation, they tolerate that woman Jezebel. And uh, in verse 20, it talks about that. And uh, Jesus talks about that, like the kingdom of heavens, like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. It wasn't obvious. They just kept throwing a little bit more. It was a little bit, but yet kept mixing it in and mixing it in until it was unpure. And therefore, it wasn't it wasn't a value. Same thing was happening to the church. Jezebel uh, is more than just a spirit of control. Uh, it's more than just a spirit of manipulation. Really, the spirit it's a spirit of seduction. Uh, um, it's it's working to woo people into uh, immorality and idolatry, and that's what the spirit of Jezebel does. Uh, not just the power thing. Um, and so that's kind of sometimes misconstrued by the church, but if you read the scriptures, it's, it, it gets into the, uh, especially the immorality and the sexuality as well. Um, and realize the spirit of Jezebel is working today in the fact that, uh, that men are, according to the scriptures, are leaving the affections of women for the affections of their own, of their own flesh. That's homosexuality. That's a, a spirit of Jezebel, um, or, um, more than one wife or being unfaithful, all that comes is part of that as well. But verse 20 talks about the practice of sexual immorality. Um, and they were told sexual perversion was okay. Uh, and it was not, obviously. But yet they were being, because of, of their ignorance, because they weren't, uh, they didn't have their own relationship with God. They were being told. They didn't read. They were being read to. And, and they were being controlled to keep them under control and in submission to the authorities, they were just told what they could do or couldn't do, and it was leading them astray. Uh, food sacrifice to idols uh, deals with the, the union of the church and the world. Now you say, but what about Peter's sheet? God gave him a revelation. Um, but but the context of what it's talking about here is, is that we, we are trying to consume that which is meant for an idol, and God saying, you can't mix godliness and idolatry. It just isn't going to work. It'll destroy you, not the other way around. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Okay? So we need to separate the world from the kingdom. So during this period, here's some of the things that you begin to see manifesting between 600, 600 after Christ. Um, the first pope in 607, uh, Boniface III, um, and kissing of the pope's foot. Um, worship images, statues, for example, the worshiping of images. Use of holy water. I'm not just picking on the Catholic Church, but realize that the Roman Church or the Romans combine their religion with the church, and so that's where Roman Catholicism comes from. So you're going to see a lot of this in in that church, and, and some of it's still practiced in the Roman church. Um, but realize there are some amazing believers in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not condemning the people, just some of the practices that were perverted uh, and that we read in history at this time. Uh, canonizing dead saints. Um, you know, we're talk, we're, Jesus talks about saints, uh, but realize the, each one of you in this room who believes in Christ is a saint, according to the Scripture. 
It's not whether you've done three miracles and you've been dead and, and the church recognizes that you did the miracles and now we say you're a saint. Um, but yet that's, they they put becoming a saint, um, they, they put it out of reach for the normal human being. And that's never been the intention of God. Uh, fasting on Fridays during Lent, uh, priests forbidden to marry, uh, use of prayer beads, um, um, the Inquisition, uh, the bread and, and, and the wine becoming the real body and blood of Jesus Christ, the transubstantiation, um, you know, where, where they believe that that little wafer we eat on Sunday, that little glass of juice, literally becomes flesh and literally becomes blood. That was taught and, and instituted into the church doctrine at this time. Only priests allowed to read the Bible. Communion forbidden to ordinary people. The apocryphal books were added to the, the Bible. Mary was claimed to have been conceived by the Holy Spirit. You find that in the, the readings, that not just Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, but now, now there's immaculate conception of Mary um, talked about. Uh, the Pope was considered sinless and perfect. Last time I checked, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean that the work of Christ doesn't cleanse you from all unrighteousness and establish you holy, but the, the, the part of the teaching at this time was the Pope was a sinless person. Mary, like Jesus, was taken into heaven. She was raptured um, and didn't die, was also taught at this time. And so you can see how some of the perversions begin to, to come in, and the reason they were allowed to slide into the church again was education. If you don't read the Scripture, then you're subject to what somebody tells you it says. That's why study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, properly handling it, skillfully teaching it. You need to be a student of the Bible, every one of you. Um, verse 23, he says, I will give to each of you um, as your works deserved. Uh, the wage of sin is death. <laughs> so, don't have your work be that. Uh, he says, I'm going to give authority in verse 26. Faith will rule and reign with Christ during the millennium. Okay, and so um, there will be authority. He was also talked in verse 28 about the morning star. The light represents enlightenment of the Word of God or understanding. Uh, and it's promised to the overcomer. So be an overcomer. All right, we're going to stop right there, take a couple-minute break. Um, we are not going to get through all the notes I have for you. Oh, my goodness. We may have to place in chapter 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who was the seven spirits of God uh, and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know uh, know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father, before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church of Sardis, the dead church, 1500 to tribulation. Um, <clears throat> and it's, this is a time of reformation. Capital city of Lydia, Asia Minor, um, modern-day Turkey. 
is known for carpets, and it was a wealthy area. Condemnation, Jesus knew all about their works and their reputation of being alive, but said, you're dead. He says, I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God, in verse 2. In verse 1, uh, the early Reformation church had a reputation of rebelling against the Catholic church, and it was radical thinking in, uh, in the fact that it was taught saved by grace. Uh, you know, this is why Jesus said, you have a reputation of being alive. Who came out of, who was during this time? Martin Luther was very influential. Remember his 72 points put on the door. Uh, but after his death, the church moved right back into a state-run church. So you have this reputation of being alive, but now you're the church of the state of Germany, and, and you're back to being dead as your state-run church. Uh, verse 2, your deeds are not complete. The movement started well, but didn't trust in the Holy Spirit. Instead, it relied on the state, uh, and the Reformation fell short of what God was trying to do. In uh, verse 3, the Reformation church developed as a result of the church uh, of the church's pagan doctrines. Martin Luther discovered Romans 1, 17. Here's all these pagan doctrines, and he says there's got to be something different. And 1, 17 says, for, uh, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that was a revolutionary doctrine that Martin Luther brought out, a revolutionary truth at the time. Um, and so that's what, what he's beginning to talk about. And, and even though we're talking about the church during the time of Jesus, we're talking about the church age also and how it, how it patterns after what was being said and done. The church rediscovered the salvation is by faith, not works, but with two problems. One, they became a state church seeking uh, approval of the politics. How does that sound? Sound familiar? Yeah. Um, eventually becoming the state church of Germany. Uh, the same trap that the Catholic Church has fallen into, the same trap that some of our churches fall into. The church eventually tried to please the government, not God. You want your you want your tax exempt status? By golly, you better toe the line. And and you know what? My God supplies our need, not my government. So <clears throat> uh, they did not sufficiently changed the custom, this is number two, of the Catholic Church of Rome. They continued with many of the pagan forms of worship, sacraments became flesh and blood, for example, ritualism, and more. And if you read the church history of this time, they, they, they held on to a lot of the practices, tried to implement some of the truth, but yet continued the, the ritualistic practices. And if you go, for example, to modern-day Lutheran Church, modern-day Catholic Church, you can see a lot of the, the carryovers. Uh, you could do it in the Episcopal Church, which I came out of, for example. You can see a lot of the practices that are still carried over. Uh, and that was part of the problem that they that they ran into. The council, wake up. Uh, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you will not know from what time I will come to you. Uh, wake up refers to a lack of biblical understanding. The church is just coming out of the dark ages. God's telling them to get educated. Wake up. Get educated in the word. Uh, strengthen what remains, he said, refers to the need of good doctrine, good teaching. Saved by grace, men are sinners, the gospel message, the authority of God's word. All these were coming out of this Reformation teaching, and they're, and they're good doctrine. God was saying, strengthen those truths. Strengthen those truths. Remember what you have received and heard uh, is the instruction that uh, is instruction to depend on on God, uh, not not the state. 
to return to days of blessing as a result of studying the Word of God. And that, that's the truth that we need to, to remember and that we've heard. He says, obey it. What? God's Word. Don't get sucked into this <clears throat> pagan ideas. Study the Scripture and do it. He says, repent. What does repent mean? Jesus comes out of the wilderness after being tempted of the devil. The first thing he says to the church is repent. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was that message he was saying? Think different. He goes, what you've been doing, you've got to change the way you think if you're going to operate in the kingdom things. That's what Jesus was telling the church to repent. Here he is telling this church again, repent, think different. You're coming, you're coming out of this old, this, this uh, dark ages. You're coming out of this idea of some of these pagan practices. You've got to begin to think different if you want life. So he says, repent, think different, turn to God, have a submissive heart. And he says, I'm going to come like a thief. The current uh, Reformation church, churches like Lutheran are presently involved. For example, uh, this is happening today, World Council of Churches. Uh, they propose that all Protestants and Catholics and eventually all religions of the world come and they unite to one and form one big religion. Um, which is exactly what's going to happen after the rapture for a short time, but they're laying the groundwork right now for what is about to happen for the end times. And so we need to be, we can't be foolish, we can't be naive to some of the things that church leadership around the world is planning. Um, look, at, look at the acceptance of, of acceptance of Muslim right now. You can't say anything bad about Muslim or, or Islam right now. You can't, because you're you're a bigot, you're 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 a racist, you're you're whatever you are, because what we're doing is we're paving a way for the, its acceptance, and we can blend it right in to all the other religions of the world, and we have utopia. Actually, what we have is we have Satan rule, and and God says, be warned of that, and it, it's happening in our own church right now, and it's it's for example, because we're talking about the Reformation Church here which was the, the start of the Lutheran Church, I just wanted to point out that it's happening within their, even in their denomination. Verse 5, it says, The one who conquers or overcomes is the one who accepts Jesus by faith and has been faithful to that relationship. And I have a few scripture, uh, scripture there in John that deals with that. Dressed in white refers to the righteousness of Christ. There's a scripture. I will never blot his name out of the book of life, but will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Here's just a, just a quick thought about the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name is written in it. Your name will continue to be written in it until the moment you die. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it will remain there. And if you have not, then it's blotted out. Jesus will not blot it out until that last moment. So it's not that you have to have your name written in it. It's already there. <clears throat> so be born again. Love the Lord. Serve the Lord with all your might. Uh, stay stay committed to the Christ and keep your name written in that book. So if somebody tries to tell you, you know, you, you get your name written, you can, it's already there. It's always been there. <laughs> okay. Uh, so do you have a ear to, ear to hear? You notice that's being said over and over for each one of those. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. God has repeated that so many times so that you get the point. Have ears to hear. Say, God, I'm listening. Speak, Lord. Remember what, uh, what uh, Samuel said before the ark. Speak, Lord. Your servant hears, and God revealed all this information. God wants us to do that. Every morning, wake up and say this simple pray, prayer. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening.
Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And all of a sudden, you're going to find your day. I just heard something. And, and all these, these truths are going to begin to come flooding in and, and insights into the word. And God's going to reveal something or tell you something because you made just one little statement first thing in the morning. Speak, Lord, I'm listening today. Write that down. That's, my, that's your homework every, every morning. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Revelation 3, 7 through 13, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the keys of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Uh, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown, that no one who conquers or, or the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the church of Philadelphia. It's the church that Christ loved, 1750. Uh, and there's remnants of that church, obviously, today. Um it's located the center of Greek civilization. It was founded about 200 B.C. Uh, it remained a strong Christian city until nearly 1500 after Christ when it was conquered by the Turks. Uh, Philadelphia, it literally means brotherly love. We know that Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love because that's what the name means. Verse 7, Jesus said, Jesus uh, reveals part of his nature to Philadelphia, Holy One. It's part of the nature of Jesus, holy. He is holy, and we should uh, be separate from the world. First Peter says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Um, <clears throat> the reason we're holy, the reason we can be holy is because he is holy. It's not that we have this, ooh, holiness. You know, holiness, uh, you can kind of boil holiness down, and I don't want it to be um, to, to reduce the word too much, um, but holy can be that I'm committed to the things of God. I, I am I'm set aside for a godly purpose, and, and I'm committed to that. That's holiness. I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm about the things of God. That's what holiness is. It's not this mystical thing. It, it's, uh, you know, I know what God has for my life, and I'm, I say yes to that. And, and we can do that because we hang out with Jesus. Uh, the true one, again, here's the nature of Jesus coming out. Holy one, true one, truth, genuine, perfect, and complete. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, again, revealing his nature, who has the keys of David, the authority of God. Um, Jesus said, all the authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. Um, who has the key of David. Boy, if we had seven or eight or nine months, we could really dig into that. There is so much in that statement, the key of David. Um, so I encourage you to do a study on what that really means. Uh, he who opens and no one can shut and when he shuts, no man can open, represents the doors of opportunity to preach the gospel that God's opening. Go and therefore make disciples of all nations. Uh, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father. And, and so there's the commission. Verse 8, um, now, England was a huge contributor to the faith missionary movement, just a little history. And in the 1700s, began sending missionaries to Africa and, and Asia and China, uh, the, you know, the Far East and India and South America, the Pacific Islands, uh, the United States had already become part of that group. But the reasons for such a powerful movement was the Bible was being printed in the languages of the country the missionaries traveled to. England financed a lot of that. The focus on doctrines, especially the second coming of Christ, was being preached, and it was really spearheaded by a lot of the, the missionaries that were coming out of England. And does anybody know what happened to England? It became the the nation. It became... Uh, the empire that claimed the sun never sets on the British Empire is God gave them influence in every sphere and every continent of the world. Why? Because they were evangelizing. Think of what the United States was doing early in the century <clears throat> and the influence the United States had because of you know, the, the, the movements of holiness movements that we're experiencing and the missionaries that were coming out of the United States. United States is still reaping the benefits of an evangelistically minded society. We need to repent for our slothfulness and we need to become that evangelistically minded society because what happens when you quit that, the empire, the influence goes away. Not the empire for the sake of wealth and for the sake of, of power, but wealth for the sake of promoting the gospel and power for the sake of protecting those who are preaching the gospel. <clears throat> so God will protect and continue to advance the United States if the United States chooses to continue to advance the gospel. And so we need as a church to repent on behalf of our nation and the leadership that has, has squelched the gospel and if, and if you don't believe me that nations will crumble if the gospel isn't preached, look at our school system since God was kicked out. And tell me there's the discipline in the school system that there was 50 years ago, 40 years ago. No, there's not. And what happens when there's lack of, when there's lawlessness, a society crumbles. <clears throat> and without Christ, there is lawlessness because our laws and our morals are written on, based on the truths of the Word of God. And so we need to repent as a nation, and we need to reestablish truth. Uh, and, and the gospel needs to come back into the schools. Thank you, Stevie. You guys could be excited about some of the things that are going on, right from Amazing Grace to some of our local schools. We won't share beyond that. Uh, but doors are opening. So condemnation of this church, none. It, uh, it was the second church that had no condemnation. Uh, the vindication, Jesus said, I will make this synagogue of Satan come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that you have loved me. All false religions will realize Jesus is Lord. 